and welcome to Captains, Logs, and Lightsabers, a brand new podcast on the Geek New News Now Network. This is our very first episode, so thank you so much for listening, and we appreciate any and all feedback that you're willing to give us. Uh, we are part of the Geek News Now Network, which is home to the Geek Gauntlet podcast, which covers all of your geek news each and every week, the Geek and I podcast, a long-form interview podcast with some luminary from the geek community, as well as 2020 Hindsight, which is where today's teenagers watch all of the geek movies from the 80s and 90s and comment on them. Captain's Log and Lightsabers is a brand new podcast hosted by two friends and longtime fans of both Star Trek and Star Wars. We're going to cover both franchises from new content that's being released to library content that has been available for years on your streaming service of choice. Uh, Each week we'll briefly cover the news from both franchises. But the feature content of each and every episode will involve Chris and I watching either a film or an episode of Star Trek and a film or an episode of something from Star Wars. And then we will compare and contrast the two, uh, tell you what we think, what worked, what didn't work, and so on. And then we'll end the episode by asking for your feedback uh, on what you thought of uh, the episodes uh, or films that we watched. But of course, the core of every podcast out there are your hosts. So at this point, I'm going to turn it over to Chris, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his history as a fan of Star Trek and Star Wars, uh, and give us a little bit of background on himself and uh, you know, what he does aside from podcasting. Take it away, Chris. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jonathan. It's good to be here with you. Um, so for everybody, my name is Chris. Um, I have been a longtime Star Trek fan. Um, I was actually six years old when I started watching it um, in September of 87 when Star Trek The Next Generation premiered. Um, I just turned 40 years old last month, so I've been, it's been basically my entire life I've been a Trekkie. Um, loved it during the golden era of the 90s. Um, and was sad to see it go in the early 2000s, or should I say mid-2000s, when Enterprise ended. Um, but Star Trek's always been something special to me. Um, I've always loved the adventure. I always loved the fun of it. Um, loved the different technology that was in the shows. Um, it was great seeing how Star Trek kind of predicted some of the technology that um, we now have, um, and now that we take for granted. Um, but... It's more than just watching a franchise to me. To me, it's actually, Star Trek symbolizes a lot more. It symbolizes, to me, family. Um, I remember very, uh, very well um, watching the shows, um, The Next Generation specifically, um, with my family um, growing up. Um, And then when we moved into Deep Space Nine Voyager when I was in junior high, high school, um, my parents kind of phased out of it a little bit. My, my twin brother and I, my younger brother and I, we would kind of watch it every single week and we would record it. We still have the VHS tapes um, down in my basement. Um, you know, and then by the time Enterprise premiered, we were all in college and, uh, you know, uh, that kind of took precedent. We still watch the show, but basically I was watching it by myself. Um, but uh, still has some very good memories of it. Um, it also makes me think of a lot of friendship. Um, a lot of my friends that I grew up with were big Trekkies. Um, so we got to enjoy and share that love together, um, which was always a lot of fun. Um, 
still working on trying to get adjusted to the new era of Star Trek. It's definitely very different. Um, I have my opinions, both pros and cons of the current material. Um, but I'd I'm looking forward to sharing that and opening a dialogue with everybody. And Jonathan, I'm really looking forward to talking about that with you as well. Um, in terms of my fandom for Star Wars, um, Star Trek was always my biggest first love. Um, my Star Wars love didn't really hit until the special editions came out to the movie theaters back in, was it January of 97? I guess that was. Um, I saw That was the first time I'd ever watched any of the Star Wars movies. Um, I watched uh, A New Hope uh, on the big screen, The Empire Strikes Back on the big screen. I didn't really like them at first. And then, so when it was time to go and see Return of the Jedi with my mother, I refused. I didn't want to go, which is my, one of my biggest regrets because it's the only Star Wars film I have not seen on the big screen. Um, so, yeah, so I was 16 when I really got into Star Wars and, and fell in love with it, with the prequels, and um, enjoyed the sequels and, you know, a lot of the new uh, animated shows. Um, so... I haven't gotten to see any of The Mandalorian yet, so I'm really looking forward to trying to catch some of those episodes. I really want to discuss them with you here, Jonathan, about uh, it's nice to have new material to actually be able to discuss. You know, so that's pretty much uh, my nerd fandom. Um, in my real life, I am a social worker. I've worked as a uh, therapist for 17 years. I currently work as a social worker at a short-term 28-day residential program for uh, children and adolescents ages 7 to 14. Um, I also work part-time at a psychiatric hospital. I mostly work on the unit that uh, works with schizophrenia patients. And just this year, I was lucky enough to open up my own private practice. Um, so life's been keeping me busy. Um, I also have a YouTube channel that I do, I've been doing for the last three years on Star Trek called Pittsburgh's Trek Chat. Uh, it's very small, um, but I love doing it. Um, it's something that I do as a passion um, and love. And I'm looking forward to adding Captain's Logs and Lightsabers on to that, uh, my schedule. So Jonathan, what about yourself? I'm kind of the exact opposite of Chris. Uh, Star Wars was my first love as far as science fiction and fantasy is concerned. Uh, I didn't come into my love of Star Trek until later on in life, just like Chris came into his love of Star Wars. Um, it was actually, it wasn't until I was uh, 14 um, that I had first come into really starting to like Star Trek and, and appreciate it for what it was, which that's something, you know, we'll discuss closer to uh, that time. My, my love of Star Wars began at, at a very early age. Um, I'm 37, so I was born in 1983, uh, the same year that Return of the Jedi hit theaters, but I was born in July, not, you know, uh, so I missed probably the majority of the theatrical run. Uh, I don't actually remember seeing uh, Star Wars until, um, you know, it was on VHS uh, years and, you know, years later. Um, but Return of the Jedi, believe it or not, was the very first Star Wars movie that I saw as a child. Um, I had not seen any of the movies prior to that, so I had no context for really anything in the story that was going on. But as a five-year-old, you know, you didn't really need it. You just, you, you saw what was on the screen, you accepted it, and you enjoyed it. Um, you know, so, you know, it, it didn't 
you know, it didn't take me having seen the other two movies to to know that what I was watching was was magic uh, on film. Um, as I you know, as I got a little bit older, I remember buying the uh, the Star Wars trilogy on VHS a few years before the special editions uh, started being released in theaters. So this would have been probably 94, 95. Uh, this was the VHS set that had each, uh, before each movie, uh, there was a Leonard Maltin interview with George Lucas. Uh, have you ever seen these interviews, Chris? Right. So yes, I did actually watch the um, Leonard Maltin interviews with George Lucas at the beginning of those uh, videos. Uh, took a few years before I actually saw, actually obtained all three of the original versions of those VHSs. Uh, so it was really fascinating to hear uh, you know, George Lucas's thoughts on uh, the trilogy from back in that time before all the special editions were done. Um, just a nice little piece of history that I didn't get to have previously. So I was glad to finally enjoy that. Yeah, it was kind of cool how he started kind of talking about the framework for what would eventually become the prequels and of course that changed probably a hundred times between 95 and 99 uh, no doubt so uh yeah i mean those those interviews were were like you said that was a fantastic piece of of history kind of fast forward to 97 you know special editions were released um the only one I ever saw in, th in the theater was episode four. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, in, in order to see the rest, I had to wait until the VHS um, you know, trilogy was released. Mm -hmm. And I remember being so excited to, to pre-order the VHS in widescreen, had to be widescreen from my local Suncoast video. Uh, I remember being just so happy to go pick it up. Uh, and, you know, it was it was such a cool day to to have that in my hand with the the gold trim vader on the outside of the slip cover uh, oh yeah you know, i just i remember that so well because you know if you if you bought this the full screen version the pan and scan version you got the silver cover which wasn't right. nearly as cool right <laughs> i agree i agree yeah yeah I um I got that set that Christmas, actually. So it's weird. I went from not liking the movies initially to by the end of the year, I wanted them for Christmas, and I got them. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, kids are kids are never going to, you know, appreciate having to wait years, a year or two uh, to see a video, you know, to see a movie on home video. Yeah. Um, you know, now you've got stuff coming out in theaters the same day as it comes out on streaming services you know oh, that's you're absolutely crazy to right about that, that. um so we were talking a little bit about how people the kids nowadays don't have to wait a year to watch a movie and i was kind of explaining about how um when i was growing up i kind of called it the different phases when the star trek movies would come out um phase one for me would be when it was in first run theaters and we got to see it a whole bunch of times then it would be it would move into phase two where it was in the secondary theater for like a dollar or 99 cents whatever the the seats were and then when it finally left the second run theater then we had that long trek to phase three which was uh home video which like you said would be anywhere from nine months to a year you know and it was torture you know waiting for that the only really thing you could do while you were waiting to pass the time would be to read the books or you know uh uh, you know, look at the collector's cards or play with the action figures or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. so it was, it was a bit of a, 
pain back then, but you know what? We survived it and we had a good time. We did. We did. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, it, it, kids, that, kids today are not going to know the, the pain and suffering that we went through just waiting for <laughs> the, the, you know, the opportunity to rewatch uh, a movie on, on, you know, from the comfort of home uh, and having to wait a year. So, exactly. You, you know, what's you know, it's really been interesting to me is I've been watching, um, I, I, ironically, I just got my first Blu-ray player a year ago. So I started finally buying some stuff on Blu-ray. And even going back to with, with DVDs, it's amazing now how unclear the VHS tapes really were. But at the time, they seemed like crystal clear to us. Right. You know, <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't believe it now. Like, I was watching a Christmas story on Blu-ray a, a couple of weeks ago, and I couldn't believe the, the brightness of it just from how good it looked compared to just even a standard DVD. You know, and I'm noticing that also I bought Star Trek Picard uh, season one on uh, Blu-ray Steelbook for my I got it for my birthday, actually, with my money. Very nice. And uh, I'm doing a rewatch of it right now. And it is so crystal clear. The colors are vibrant. I mean, it, it's just stunning. It's just it's it's amazing how technology has advanced um, over these years and just just the way things change in general. Things that just. That's one thing that's consistent about life is there's always change, you know. And so, you know, going from the VHS tapes that we thought were super crystal clear to what we've got now, it's just it's just mind blowing. And then I guess 4K mm -hmm. 4K is the new thing now that's coming out. And uh, I know and that's pretty clear. Uh, it's it's just absolutely incredible. Like last Christmas or before last Christmas uh, on Black Friday, I bought myself a a 4K. Uh, television uh mm -hmm. you know on sale from walmart um it, it you know it's it's 4k it has dolby vision which is the theater standard uh like like the super premium theater standard for nice. uh, you know for video quality uh -huh. and it has dolby atmos built in so that you know if i had a like really high-end sound system connected to my television it would be able to take advantage you know we're talking like what like seven channel nine channel audio something ridiculous that this mm. supports i mean it looks and sounds amazing with just my little uh 2.1 sound bar i can only imagine having like a you know a full theatrical system what it would sound look you know sound like yeah um i'm just i'm floored by the, the quality of the the, the picture al alone yes um yeah, I feel like this, you know, this is appropriate place to put a, hey, kid, get off my lawn. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is different about Star Wars for you now as a, as a 37 year old adult? How can you enjoy it now differently than you did back in the day? Um, You know, a, as a kid, of course, you know, it was just how, you know, the the uh, the lightsaber battles and just, mm -hmm. you know, that that. um just the, the cool technology of these blades of of concentrated energy you mm -hmm. know uh clashing up against each other and the hums and the sounds and the and, the, and, and everything that it made it just it was just such a cool spectacle and and mm -hmm. the things that uh they were able to do for the space battles you know with miniature work uh it, it just it looked so Unlike anything you know I had mm -hmm. ever seen as a kid, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it was it was all about the spectacle and you know what's the next cool thing that's going to happen. Uh, for me now, as as a thirty seven year old, it's 
looking for all of the references to uh, to the film genres that that George Lucas, you know, and and the 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 current creators of Star Wars are are integrating into the new stuff, you know, mm-hmm. you know, being having seen more films and and just seeing stuff from wide range of genres now it's okay i can see where this is like a western or this sequence is like one of kurosawa's samurai films Mm -hmm. um and and just and not only that and just you know with all the new star wars that's coming out being Mm -hmm. able to see the connections you know that are being made in the new stuff to Mm -hmm. the stuff that we both you know that we grew up with Yes, and Star Wars has definitely been doing a really good job with that, um, keeping the visual continuity, um, tying it back into past stories, past characters, um, making one cohesive universe. I mean, I got to definitely give Star Wars kudos for that. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it, it all it all looks like it fits together and and is one big complete story that's just expanding. You know, that, right. that's what makes it so interesting. <laughs> you know, that's, that's been kind of the problem I've had a little bit with some of the recent Star Trek. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm a bit of a Star Trek purist, but I've had a really hard time accepting Discovery as a prequel to the original series. Um, because I know that a lot of fans are saying, oh, it's just, you know, it's a story that matters. It's not, it's not what, what it looks like. But what I've experienced in the last couple of seasons of Discovery is, is I'm actually feeling like I'm getting pulled out of the story. Because everything just is so mismatched. Um, obviously, we couldn't have a show that had like 1960s looking sets, things like that. I mean, that wouldn't be practical for a long-term show. But it, I, And I hate that it just pulls me out um, mm-hmm. of the story sometimes, you know. But, uh, you know, eventually maybe I'll be able to overcome that. But it makes it feel like to me like Star Trek's starting to become uncohesive. And um, that, to me, I think was a big reason why people why i enjoyed star trek was the big world that for the most part was connected were there a few continuity errors here or there of course i I mean you have think about how many writers and and producers and art designers and all the people that work on these shows or in these movies you know have all contributed so there's going to be little glitches here and there um that's just been the hard part for me so when i actually see the stuff going on with star wars and you know the millennium falcon looks like the millennium falcon and the controls still look like they did back in the 70s and you know that to me it makes me feel good it shows that there's a value there um that people really love and i don't know i guess you as a longer term star wars fan do you feel is that something that you appreciate that they continue to keep the aesthetic oh absolutely you know it the 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 whole hook with star wars is it takes place a long time ago in a galaxy far far away right it doesn't give us a specific date you know when this occurs um i you know kind of think of it a little bit like how earth you know in, in 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 the world of star trek how earth had you know had just discovered uh faster than light travel Mm -hmm. and they were then they made their they, rather the Vulcans made the first contact. The Vulcans had had this technology for for years and years mm-hmm. and years. It's like Star Wars kind of takes place, um, you know, where this technology has just existed for 
the galaxy. Yes. Uh, you know, for forever, and mm-hmm. you know, we are, I don't know, viewing historical film. You know, somehow that finally made it to us mm-hmm. in in our present time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know, and and a lot of it I think has to do with the amount of. Uh, you know the the archival nature of what you know how Lucasfilm keeps you know a huge archive of mm-hmm. the way things looked you know in in 1977 in 1980 in 1983 you know because they have this you know this archive that they can reference it makes it a little bit easier mm-hmm. to to recreate the aesthetic and make it all look like even though the technology you know, in our in our, in, in filmmaking has mm-hmm. uh, gotten better and better, mm-hmm. uh, and that takes some you know crazy behind the scenes uh, attention to detail that I just am blown away by. Yes, yes. No, I agree. I agree with you. I mean, I know a lot of people didn't like the sequel trilogy, um, but you know, watching that those movies and seeing the Millennium Falcon still looking like the Millennium Falcon. The ships, still, you know, all the other ships still looking the same, and even even down to the uh, Resistance base, a lot of the technology that they were using there looked like it came right out of the original Star Wars movie. I mean, it just it looked incredible, and I just I love that cohesion, and that's something that I've always loved about Star Trek was this this continuity, mm-hmm. um, and it's just for the first time it's been kind of shaken up, you know. So sure. it's like I'm trying to get I'm still trying to get used to that whole. Um, the Kelvin mo- timeline movies, I have no problem with because it, it makes perfect sense. It's moved into an alternate reality, and you know things are going to be different. You know, sure, sure. So. You know, and and with you know, you kind of you mentioned a, a visual continuity. Of course, that was never more prevalent than. Um, in, in the resurgence of Star Trek in mm-hmm. in the late '80s into the '90s, mm-hmm. you know, you figure you had TNG. Deep Space Nine and Voyager, they all essentially, they all took place concurrently with one another. Yes. So the ships looked the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, any any Federation ship looked exactly the same. You you know, as far as the uh, w- w- the Elcar's interface, you know, mm-hmm. that was on every single Federation ship yes. in shows during that era. You know, of course, DS9 being, you know... Being, taking place on uh, on a Cardassian, mm-hmm. uh, you know, space station, of course, looks completely different. Yes. But, but when the uh, when DS Nine finally got, uh, you know, the, the Defiant um, mm-hmm. issue to them, you kind of, they brought that Elcar's interface back into the show, and you know, and yes. kind of made it um, feel unified again. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there was, a, yeah, I mean, they had the runabouts, but I mean, those, they were just used for short-term transportation. So it was, basically, it was the Cardassian aesthetic like you're talking about. So yeah, so it was a nice balance of the two designs when uh, the Defiant was brought in. Yeah, yeah. We kind of got off on a tangent here, didn't we? <laughs> yes, we kind of did. It's, it's amazing how things kind of go, well, I guess, you know what, it's our first episode, so I guess we're just kind of letting it flow. Yeah, that's all right. Nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I guess we kind of left off, you know, me talking a little bit about my Star, you know, a, yes. well, a lot about my Star Wars fandom. Yes. Um, you know, we you know, like, 
kind of going back, uh, try to finish up here for you, you know, because mm-hmm. this I'm getting long winded. I know. Um, <laughs> we love. That's, it's because we have a passion for our stuff. You know? Right, right. So, you know, I you know, the prequel films, of course, you know, they came, they started in 1999 uh, in mm-hmm. May because yes. every Star Wars movie had come out in May um, for the first six episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was I was 15 years old when mm-hmm. the Phantom Menace was released in theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't see it in theaters, so uh, you know, again, I had to wait until the home video release nine months to a year later just to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I remember being just absolutely floored by the pod race sequence and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and just, I would watch it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I would just, you know, take the VHS, rewind it at the beginning of the race, watch it, rewind it, watch it. You know, it's, it, mm-hmm. it just, it, it, it was just incredible. And that was on a small screen, you know, yep. uh, in my bedroom that mm-hmm. I would watch it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we're talking by small screen kids. We mean, uh, 19 inch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ironically, the TV I grew up with was only 19 inches. <laughs> Kids have what 52 inches in their uh, TVs in their rooms now. Right, right. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, and, and yes, I do love Jar Jar Binks, and, and unabashedly so. I have so no shame I. in that. Don't Thank you. Bad. Thank you. Yes, I, Thank I, you. I do. I think he's hysterical. That part in Episode One where he. His tongue gets numb. Is one of the funniest moments to me. <laughs> I love it. He's like, "Why well, you know, it's, it's just, it's just hysterical. You know, and, I, and, go ahead. Uh, no, no, no. Go ahead. Oh. Gush over Jar Jar. I, I love it. Yeah, I was just, gonna, I was just going to say, I just, I feel bad that he got a lot of the, uh, the, the, the hate basically that he got. Yeah. I mean, I can see it to a point um, that, you know, it was certainly a different type of character. And I guess mm-hmm. he was maybe developed a little bit more for the kids to relate to. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. he I mean, he served a purpose, especially in, in, in The Phantom Menace, um, in the sure. story. You know, and sure. uh, I wish we would have gotten to see a little bit more of him in uh, Episodes 2 and 3. I do think yeah. that his role in Episode 2, kind of helping in the beginning of the formation of the Empire, was pretty cool. It was ironic. Right. You know, <laughs> in its own way. I wish we would have yeah. had more than a, a line from him in Episode 3 um, about, excuse me. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I think he was a pretty cool character. Yeah, and, and you figure, uh, you know, uh, out, out of universe, you know, uh, Ahmed Best performed mocap before Andy Serkis made it popular, you know, yes. with Lord of the Rings and, and King mm-hmm. Kong and then uh, the, um, the the Planet of the Apes movies where he's Caesar. Like, Ahmed Best was on the cutting edge of that. The, yes. You know, Lord of the Rings wouldn't exist if the technology uh, created by George Lucas and Lucasfilm in, in the creation of Jar Jar Binks hadn't come before it. Right. And people forget that and people just, you know, they look at just their annoyance with the character, mm-hmm. but really, yeah, okay, so he was the comic relief for the kids, mm-hmm. but really, going back to what we said earlier about George Lucas being obsessed with Kurosawa, mm-hmm. he's, Jar Jar is the drunken master Yes. Uh, archetype. That's exactly what his character was, and mm-hmm. when you look at it in, through that lens... He's really not 
that offensive. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. I think I think a lot of people were kind of accusing him of being some sort of a racist stereotype. Um, not really sure how to, to answer that. I don't think that was ever meant to, to, to be in no. any way. I, I think he was just made to be be and sound comical. You know, I, I think, yeah, and and a lot of you know, it's people looking at things through modern a modern lens. I mean, even 1999 yes. was so long ago. Uh, you know, the remaining movies in the prequel trilogy uh, came out in uh, what 2002 and 2005, so I would have been 18 and 21 respectively at the time. Uh, I, I went to see those in theaters with uh, the girl who would eventually become my wife, Kylie. You know, we both bonded over our mutual love of Star Wars back then, and it's uh, it's kept us together for nearly 18 years. Nice. Uh, we watch everything Star Wars together. You know, we watch, uh, we've seen every uh, Star Wars movie that's been released in theaters. We've watched every episode of Star Wars: The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, uh, and of course, we've. Uh, watched every episode of The Mandalorian together. So my, my fandom of Star Trek came much, much later uh, in my life. Uh, you know, my dad, uh, I remember, you know, watching my dad watch The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine and Voyager when they were, you know, airing the episodes in syndication in the 90s. But it's never something that he and I watched together, sadly. Um, it actually, it wasn't until... Um, I turned 14 and was a staff member at Boy Scout camp that I kind of watched really my first ever Star Trek uh, thing from start to finish. Uh, a fellow staff member, uh, Ed, introduced me, which I remember being, uh, you know, hemming and hawing about you know, at the time. Uh, he introduced me to Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Um, but he ended up, you know, he eventually won. Uh, and we watched the movie, and, and you know what? I really enjoyed it. Um, wasn't expecting to, but I did. Uh, I guess that's a pretty good entry point, you know, because it's probably the most accessible uh, mm -hmm. of the Trek movies, um, you know, since it doesn't really... It, it's kind of a self-contained story from start to finish. I mean, you've got a little bit of carryover from uh, Star Trek Three. You know, that was kind of the when the seed got planted of my appreciation for Star Trek. I didn't really okay. revisit it until, you know, to know, several years later when I got to college. Um, okay. You know, I was a freshman in college. You know, my uh, my roommate that I had for the first year and a half, Jeremiah, uh, introduced me to Netflix, which at the time uh, Netflix had you create a, a, a queue of DVDs to be sent in the mail so that you could watch and then return. Um, you know, he was a big movie lover and, uh -huh. you know, he, he and I split the cost of it. He used it to, uh, to watch some really weird films that he was into. I used it to finally get into Star Trek. You know, this okay. was probably, you know, this was the early two thousands, you uh -huh. know, it was, uh, right, you know, right after, uh, you know, television studios started putting complete DVD season sets together. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, with Netflix, you had to get them one disc at a time, or if you did the, the multi-disc plan with Netflix, you know, you could have two or, you know, one or two discs, I think, maybe mm -hmm. three uh, at one time. So I just started going through watching, you know, requesting DVDs from the original series. Mm -hmm. um, 
then from TNG, then from Deep Space Nine, um, you know, and, and then Voyager. Uh, at the time, um, you know, Enterprise had not yet started airing when I went through this um, this watch of all the the shows. Okay. <clears throat> you know, it had it. I think what Enterprise Enterprise debuted in what two thousand one, I yes. believe. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, this was the this was probably um well this would have been 2001 but of course the show was still airing in its first season so of course it wouldn't have been available on DVD uh oh. you know for a while yet. Deep Space 9 was at the time and and still is my favorite Trek series. I just oh. I remember being utterly fascinated by Quark and, and the Ferengi uh, and the culture and the religion of the Bajorans, and uh, you know, when they finally got to the Dominion War arc, it just sealed the deal for me as uh-huh. you know, one consistent narrative from start to finish. Um, you know, and you know, I guess kind of as a little bonus, uh, once they introduced the Vic Fontaine Hollow program, uh-huh. uh, it really solidified my love for the the Great American Songbook and and Rat Pack Rat uh-huh. Pack music. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, eventually, uh, of course, the uh, the Enterprise DVD sets got released, mm-hmm. and I got those through my Netflix membership. Um, and if I'm being honest, I don't. I I know I didn't really appreciate the show the first time through, um, but recently, within probably the past year and a half, maybe two years, I went back and did a complete rewatch of Enterprise and. And I fell in love with the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd be surprised. There are a lot of fans that are talking about that, how much now they didn't like it when it was in you know first run, but now they're picking up on things and realizing that it actually had a lot of quality to it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, you can't go wrong with Scott Bakula. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> amazing, amazing guy, and he's, he's even a really decent guy in real life too. I mean, he's an incredible actor, and he's just a decent human being. I. I, gotta, I yeah. No, no, I, I kind of get that impression. Just, you know, I've never met him, and I, I, I know you have, uh, but, I, you know, I've never met him, but I can just imagine, you know, it just, the the personality that he has on screen can't be too far from his real-life personality. Oh, exactly, exactly. I, I saw him speaking at a convention, I believe it was in 2016 in Las Vegas. So I've never actually got to meet him, but I've seen him on stage, and I literally watched him one question after the other running across the stage trying to get equal attention to every side of people asking questions. Um, just the kindest, warmest person that you could – you could just feel radiating from him off stage. You know, so it, 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 it was it's nice. And they actually said that the cast said that he was kind of like their leader and role model when they were making the show. So, I mean, and so that yeah. makes perfect sense. Well, I mean, he had, you know, a, a multi-season television show under his belt, you know, yep. all, you know by, before he had joined the cast. So, yeah, I can see I can absolutely see how, you know, he'd be the role model. Yes, absolutely. So. All right. So that's, you know, um that's kind of my, my Star Trek history. Um, uh-huh. You know, I've, uh, I, of course, you know, I've been able to keep up with the, the series that have been released on CBS All Access. Uh-huh. You know, I've watched, um, I, I, you know, I'm caught up on Star Trek Discovery. Um, I, I watched Picard. Um, 
and yeah, there are some yeah idi- idiosyncrasies with the show, and uh, you know for the most part, you know there there are some yeah you know, there there's plenty of things to like, but there's things to pick on as well, and sure. you know that you're gonna have that with anything. Um, yeah. Heck, I mean, I don't know if uh, Star Wars fandom or Star Trek fandom is worse. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! Like, I, I, I honestly do not know there, my friend. Uh, mean, yeah, yeah. I've heard some um, horror stories about the Star Wars fandom. The Star Trek fandom really, um, what really surprises me is the amount of disrespect that they are having for each other. It's almost like there's a civil war going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there are the fans that, I guess, there are the ones who just want to stick to what came before and think everything right now since Discovery is, or even since J.J. Uh, Abrams' movies have, has been pretty much garbage. And then you have the other side um, that thinks that it everything right now is just peaches and cream and everything's perfect and it shouldn't be ridiculed. And mm-hmm. they're referring to each other as, you got the, the people who don't like current Star Trek um, being called haters. And then you got the ones who love the, the new Star Trek that's going on right now. They're being called Drekkies. And to me, that's basically the exact same word as hate. Um all they do is they keep yelling at each other. And what I find very fascinating is Star Trek talks a lot about infinite diversity and infinite combinations or edict. And uh-huh. a lot of times these fans will trash each other, call each other names, swear at each other, and then say, oh, by the way, why are we, why they need to, pra- the other person needs to practice edict. I mean, it's, it doesn't make sense. Like you're ridiculing somebody, but then you're, you're crying edict in the same sense. It just doesn't compute uh-huh. to me. And my thought of it always is, is I always thought maybe maybe it's just me. I shouldn't be thinking this way, but I thought Star Trek fans maybe kind of held themselves to a higher level. Um, they talk about the ideals of Gene Roddenberry's world and not judging anybody anymore, learning to not let words bother you, like Uhura said in the Savage Curtain to Abraham Lincoln, you know. But then they go right back to their 21st century humanity and just attack and attack and attack. Um, it, it, it kills me to see that happening. And I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't follow with the Star Wars fandom as closely. What are your impressions of that group? Uh, I think Obi-Wan said it best. And, you know, I'm, I'm referring to Star Wars Twitter here mm-hmm. uh, that you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Mm hmm. Uh, than Star Wars Twitter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and it, it appears to be very similar, maybe not quite as mm-hmm. extreme as as Star Trek fandom and, and mm-hmm. on social media. But you know what, that's that's a discussion for another day, my friend. Oh yes, and I think that would be a very <laughs> interesting discussion as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's um let you know, let's let's keep it mostly positive. Let's not get into all of that uh, Absolutely. You know, no, right I now. Absolutely with you. I agree. Um, we don't want to. We don't want to lose uh, listeners before we even get them. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yep. So. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you know, f- to wrap up this episode, um, well, not so much to wrap up. I guess we're going to move into our feature portion of the episode. Our three favorite pieces of music from Star Trek and Star Wars. And we're also going to list uh, talk about our top three characters from Star Trek and Star Wars. So I've been talking for a long time, so I'm going to turn this over to Chris. Uh, Chris, why don't you lead us off with your 
um, number three favorite piece of music from Star Trek? Oh, number three. Okay. Uh, boy. I would have to say... Um, I guess the, just the music in Star Trek Three, just in general. There's no not a real spitz. I, I guess maybe the part where they're um the they're stealing the Enterprise and uh, um going out of space dock. Um, and then when the Enterprise flies through the doors and that big overture starts playing, um, I just think that's just such an exciting moment. You know, watching Kirk defy orders and um working toward rescuing his friend nothing else mattered at that moment and then just the camaraderie of the crew coming together and and doing that and then while they're they're stealing the ship and they're actually you know all that tension's building are they going to crash into the doors or not is the excelsior going to come after the the enterprise or not um i just think that's just a, a fun piece of music and every time the enterprise clears through those doors i'm like yes they made it you know <laughs> so that i would say that's probably my number three um, nice. My my number two uh, favorite song um, or music would probably be um, the Overture from Star Trek Generations. Um, one thing, there, uh, Star Trek Generations definitely has a lot of complaints from the fans about the story, about how Kirk died, about you know Soren as as kind of the villain. But one thing that I definitely think is top notch about Star Trek Generations is its score. I, I just think it's very theatrical and it's very moving and, and that one piece of music um, is, is something that I listen to quite a lot over and over. Um, just kind of gets me excited about um, space and exploring and so, so that's just that's a big favorite of mine. My number one favorite piece of music in all of the Star Trek franchise is Archer's theme from Enterprise. Um, to me, that symbolizes everything that Star Trek is about. Um, exploring, um, meeting new people, exploring new worlds, um, being the first adventurers out into space. Um, it, it just, that always really like gets me excited and like touches me. Um, the part that I would probably say it touches me the most in is in the finale of Enterprise. Uh, these are the voyages. I know that most people, including myself, aren't big fans of the episode, but the epilogue um, with the three Enterprises and the captains reciting the, the famous uh, Trek words um, and listening to Archer's theme playing while Enterprise flies by the camera toward the nebula, um, I'm not going to lie. It chokes me up every time I watch it. I just think it's so That's beautiful. Awesome. And it's such a wonderful ending to not only Enterprise, but to 18 years of Star Trek that was on TV at that time. Um, so that song's got a special place in my heart. So I would say that those three pieces of music are probably my absolute star favorites in Star Trek. Wow, Chris, those were some uh, very deep, deep cuts. Um, you... Obvious, you know, you being such a huge fan of, of uh, you know, of Star Trek, and mm -hmm. you know, being more so a fan of Star Trek than you know, uh, and that being you know the equivalent, your your love of Star Trek being the equivalent of my love for Star Wars. Yes. Um, I would expect no less that, you know than for you to have come up with uh, with pieces like that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to go a lot more. 
um, surface level with my okay. picks. Sure. Uh, in which, and I hope there's nothing wrong with that at all. No, not at uh, all. <laughs> but my my number three uh, is the the theme song to Enterprise, and I know right. this gets so much flack and mm-hmm. you know so much criticism from people because it was a pop song with lyrics, and it kind of uh, went against the trend of an orchestral, uh, or, you know, song uh, for the, you know, for the opening credits of a show. But, you know, f- the show was so much different than, than previous Star Trek because it was setting the stage for what would come, you know, hun- you know, a hundred to, you know, and then 200 years later in the future. Um, I-, I think that, the sh- the song had to be different and yes. you know it, it it does you know the the lyrics really do perfectly capture the spirit of the mission that that archer and his crew set out to accomplish mm-hmm. um number two uh, i gotta go with uh, the deep space nine theme um mm-hmm. it's it's my favorite show so of course sure. you know this song had to make an appearance in uh, in my top three. Yes. Um, I, I I'm gonna get band geek here for a minute, and I know you can relate. Um, yes. <laughs> but I I real I love the uh, in in the DS9 theme. I love the call and answer of the main motif between the trumpet and the French horn, and then they just you know they just go back and forth. Um, yes. In the middle of that song, and it's just it's it's really cool, and you don't mm-hmm. you don't hear that type of uh sequence in um you know in soundtracks very often sure mm-hmm. um and then for my number one that's alexander courage's theme from the motion picture which mm-hmm. then later got uh adapted to be the theme song to tng mm-hmm. um it just it it captures you know so much spirit and so much of what star trek is about for me mm-hmm yeah, it's a, it's a very nice theme. Yeah, it's been recycled numerous times and played in various different formats. So, yeah, it's, I agree with you. It's, it's an amazing piece of work. Let's talk now about our uh, three favorite Trek characters. Uh, Chris, do you want to start us off? Um, so, yeah, so um, I will start with Captain Picard. Um, one thing I like about Captain Picard, um, I like his... his I guess you want to call it easy, how easygoing he kind of is. Um, he's not one to just immediately jump into action and say, okay, now I got to go hit this person and, and, um, or I'm not going to follow this order or, or whatever. He, he looks for philosophical solutions to different problems and with his command style. Um, and when he's doing first contact missions or representing the Federation, um, I've always loved that, that, that calmness and coolness that he has. But at the same time, he's also had his moments where if he didn't agree with anything, he wouldn't he wouldn't be against um, defying an order or two if he needed to. Like, look, for example, an insurrection when uh, what the Federation was doing with the Sona to try to relocate the Baku. You know, he said, who the hell are we to determine the next course of evolution for these this people? And it got to the point where he actually resigned from Starfleet to save these people. Um, You know, so. It's a nice mix with with him about the diplomacy and being able to use um, kind of using more of his words rather than using his fists. That being said, another character that has really grown on me in the last year or two, ironically, is Captain Kirk. Um, mm. Over the over the years, I've had 
like Scotty was my favorite on the original series. At one point, it was Doctor McCoy, but in the last year or so, I would say it's been Captain Kirk. And even though I kind of said about you know Picard using more of his you know uh, I guess intellectual capacity or trying to, to problem solve more, there are some things that I really value about Kirk as a leader about coming more from his emotions a lot of times. I mean, he was the one commanding officer out of, if you really watch all the Star Treks, he was probably the most, the, the one who would get the most upset about losing a crew member. Um, he would even say it in, in several of the original series episodes, he would get really angry. I've lost a man. I lost a crewman. You know, I want answers. I want to know what's going on. Um, so his compassion and his caring for his ship and his crew are, are very commendable. Um, and I'm going to bring Star Trek three back up again. Um, that was actually the first Star Trek movie I ever saw, not in the theater, but actually just saw mm -hmm. in general. And, um, so it's, that one's special to me, but watching Kirk and his senior crew come together and basically say to hell with, with what Starfleet is saying about Spock and Genesis, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to steal this ship. I'm going to defy orders and I'm going to go get them whether you like it or not. I mean... I, there's something I just I think this is so admirable and so pure about that. Um, just the love of his friend, um, that this friend had become more than just a colleague. He's basically a brother. He's basically family. And nothing else mattered at that point. Mm -hmm. And so that's I guess, again, that's why that part of Star Trek three is so important to me, because uh, just watching him drop everything and risking his basically his entire career, his entire future, risking going to jail, prison. Um, for his friend, I, that just, I don't think I really realized that until in just the last couple of years, like you were saying with Star Wars, about learning new things and, and stuff like that, as you've gotten older, that's something I've learned about Kirk. Um, the other character I would say is my top, my number three would probably be seven of nine. Um, I think that she was a very well-written, very well-developed character. Um, she had a lot less years on the show to grow than the other, uh, characters on Voyager, um, but we literally saw this woman change from basically being all Borg to actually regaining a, a nice little bit of her humanity, thanks to Captain Janeway and, and other members of the crew as well, but primarily Captain Janeway. Um, and, and just watching her learn how to socially interact with people and learn how to go on her first date like she did in the fifth season episode, Someone to Watch Over Me, and learning to fall in love eventually with Chakotay. Um, and developing the friendship that she had with the doctor and even her relationship with Naomi Wildman um, grew over the years. And then watching her actually basically become a mother figure and becoming the Janeway figure to the Borg children um, when they came on in season six. And then as each had became the last one um, on the show um, and then watching seven and nine's uh, interesting transformation on Picard, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that's been a, that was a big change. <laughs> from what we had seen on Voyager, but I mean, people change experiences, change us. And I sure. think she went through a lot of different experiences after Voyager came home to the Alpha Quadrant. Um, as we saw with, with her joining the Fenris Rangers and she has a calling there to help people, you know, so it'll be interesting to see where her character goes as Picard moves on into season two. Mm -hmm. But that's pretty much it for me. How about uh, you with your three favorite Star Trek characters? Uh, okay. So, um, I'll start with number three. Um, I I really really love Doctor Flox from Enterprise. Okay. 
Um, John Billingsley, you know, the actor that, that portrayed Phlox, he had already been such an accomplished character actor. You know, yes. you've probably seen him in tons of different things prior to Enterprise. Oh, yes. But, you know, the way that he was able to become a you know a, a regular character uh on this show and and have a, a you know a great four season run uh was incredible um you know he just the way that he was able to uh you know portray uh Flux as you know as a doctor as a surgeon a psychiatrist and mm-hmm. uh perhaps most importantly a veterinarian you know we yes. we can't forget the uh the love and care um that he had for Porthos uh, oh, yes. as a patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he did it with such humanity, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he's an alien. Uh, yes. it, it's, he's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? I think Dr. Phlox is an amazing character. Um, you're right. I think he was actually more human than any of the other human characters that were, <laughs> that were on the show. Seriously. I mean, yeah. he enjoyed life. He enjoyed trying new things. Um, remember all the times he talked about uh, Chinese food and egg drop soup and, you know, and, and he, he brought some really interesting um, things into his role, um, using sure. the different creatures in his little creature menagerie to help heal crew members. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of, I was surprised at one time that he fed the triple to one of his, uh, <laughs> one of his creatures that kind of was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, a nice little know, callback. Yeah, it, it certainly was, um, and gave us some uh, backstory into why the Tribble population was able to stay under control because of the reptiles on their home world. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it, he, he just showed a humanity um, that rose above himself. I think mm-hmm. it, it was every, it was about everybody else and never about him. You know sure, I mean? yeah. That, I, and I think that's what made him a special character and a, and a welcome addition to the Star Trek franchise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my my number two um, is is uh, is Quark. Uh, okay. Just I thought you know the way that Armin Shimmerman was able to bring so much life and depth to what really was a throwaway Alien of the Week from uh, you know a, a, a very early episode of TNG. Uh, you know the way that he portrayed, you know, a, a Ferengi and and his, you know, his uh, extended family, <clears throat> and just they they brought so much depth to, uh, you know, a profit obsessed race of beings like the Ferengi, uh, yes. and you know, and and he was able to make Quark mostly likable in mm-hmm. spite of the fact that really Quark was pretty loathsome most of the time. Uh, You know, it it takes a lot of talent and, and, you know, and he pulled it off. Yes, he did. (laughs) Yes. He definitely cemented that, that race and gave them an identity without a doubt. Mm hmm. Uh, and, and I guess lastly for my number one, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to break the rules a little bit here and not choose one character. Okay. Um, this is our show. We can make the rules up as we go along, right? You got it, sir. <laughs> <You> got uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with the Bajorans, uh, okay. just in general as a race. Um, you know, I, I, like I said earlier, I was fascinated by, you know, by everything about them. You know, their, 
um, their belief in Cisco when he didn't even believe in himself when he first arrived on the station and, you know, how he eventually fulfilled their prophecy for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, they, uh, you know, they adhere to their faith in the prophets unwaveringly. Um, and, you know, they, there was just so much, uh, you know, so much to like about the characters, you know, or rather about the Bajorans. Um, you know, and, uh, actually, you know, funny thing I was, um, you know, I became so enamored by the Bajorans while watching deep space nine that, uh, I actually, um, portrayed a Bajoran myself in, uh, an email based Trek RPG for several years. I'm going to switch gears here and we're going to leave the world of Star Trek and we're going to, uh, go into Star Wars. Uh, same idea. We're going to start with our top three pieces of music from Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll go into our characters. But um, as as usual, Chris, go ahead and start us off. Okay. So my three favorite pieces of Star Wars music. All right. So well, obviously, I mean the Star Wars theme that that John Williams created is just. Um, Stunning, just from the very first note that comes on once the word Star Wars flash on the screen, you know, it's just it's just powerful from that moment, and it just it it actually just kind of shows you that even just with a first couple of notes, how powerful the movie's going to be, how much quality there's going to be in it, um, and it just shows that level of fun um, that Star Wars gives to people. Um, and it kind of reminds me a lot of the uh, old serials, uh, the sci-fi serials from the 30s mm-hmm. and 40s, um, which I know that was a big part of the reason why they did it that way. Sure. Um, you know, that's that. So it always it drags me right into the story as soon as I start hearing the main theme. The number two theme um, that I really like, and it's not something that I guess I have a deep-rooted love in um uh, but i guess this becomes special to me um is the princess leia theme um especially since carrie fisher died i think yesterday was what the uh third or fourth anniversary of her death it um, was the fourth anniversary yeah fourth that's what i thought that's what i thought and uh so i've come to really love carrie fisher just the kind of person that she was her sense of humor um just her style of communicating with people um, you know, so that every time I hear that music, it just kind of makes me think of her. Um, and it also makes me think about what kind of a strong character Princess Leia was in these films as a leader. Um, and just the kind of role model that she was. Um, so I've grown to really love that character since, um, her loss as well. And I can see why she was such an inspiration to young women back in the seventies, all the way up until now, um, right before she died. Um, she made a really strong, um, long-lasting character that, uh, you know, will stand the, the test of time and mm-hmm. um, will always be loved. Duel of the Fates, um, I really love. Um, very nice. Yeah, it's very operatic. Um, it's very strong in the way it's portrayed. Um, I think it just it sh- it encompasses the excitement of what Star Trek or no, Star Trek Star Wars. Um, really is with the lightsaber battles and fighting, trying to fight with honor versus um, just a, a malice that's going on with with, with the Sith. Um, it, it just sends chills up my spine every time I listen to it. 
Um, I think my favorite moment of it, I mean, it, you would think it would be kind of during the battle with Darth Maul and Obi-Wan and uh, Qui-Gon in, in The Phantom Menace, but I actually like it the best in uh, Revenge of the Sith um, when uh, Yoda and the newly Emperor Palpatine are having their battle in the Senate chamber. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know kind of like what you did with your pieces of music from Star Trek, you know, being mm-hmm. a, a lot more deep cuts than than what I chose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to take the same route with my picks for favorite Star Wars sure. uh, pieces of music here. Yes. So um, starting with my number three, my uh-huh. favorite piece, uh, it's the, it's called Augie's Great Municipal Band. And Chris, I'm sure you'll remember this from the parade sequence uh, on Naboo at the end of episode one, the victory yes. music. Yes. All right. So you know that piece, right? Oh, yes. All right. So it, it's really happy. It's upbeat. It's they they won the battle against the, the Trade Federation. They mm-hmm. they blew up the droid control ship and everything is great, right? Yes. And that's exactly what John Williams wanted you to think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a surprise in store for you. Um Augie, you know, the the main melody of Augie's Great Municipal Band mm-hmm. is Emperor Palpatine's theme from Return of the Jedi, transposed from minor to major. Interesting. Okay. So, for the discerning music fan, uh, you you get that sense of. You know, when you listen to Palpatine's theme, you get that sense of foreboding and dread. This yes. is an evil person, and he, you know, he's of course he's uh, the head of the Empire. Yes. But take that that theme and tweak it to a major key, and it changes the whole sound. Mm-hmm. But if you know, if you pay attention, you'll notice that. It's it's the same piece, just transposed differently. It's it's clever. Interesting. I'm gonna keep an eye out on that. I'm gonna now. You're making me now want to put the ending of that movie on just to listen for that. <laughs> oh, it it it'll blow your mind once once you you realize it. It's it's yeah. crazy. Uh, all right. So number two, uh, for me is uh, the song Jabba Flow. Okay. Um, now this is the song that was being sung in uh, Maz Kanata's castle in Episode Seven, uh, The Force okay. Awakens. Um, do you sort of remember? You know, they walk into Maz, Maz's castle and there's somebody up on the stage performing. It's very, very much evokes the cantina scene from uh, from A New Hope or yes. um, even the music from. Uh, from Return of the Jedi in Jabba's Palace. Yes. You know, it's it's what they you know, it's 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 a piece of source music, meaning the characters in the scene hear this music and you know, they can you know it's it's not only not only do we as the viewers of the movie hear it, the characters in the movie also hear it. It's called source music or diegetic music. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, kind of why I like this song is more the piece itself is is good but you really don't hear it too much in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's more the the story behind it uh, is really what uh, makes you know gives it you know you know my ranking is number two. Um, so on the uh, you know on the uh, the soundtrack to episode seven, the, the song is credited to Shag Kava. 
but really, the song was written and performed by Lin Manuel Miranda of Hamilton fame. Okay. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a reggae inspired track, uh, and the lyrics are in the Huttese language. Um, okay. But the lyrics translate in you know from Huttese to English as "No lover, lover, it wasn't me." So Shag Kava is basically Star Wars equivalent of Shaggy. Okay. If you remember the Shaggy song, it wasn't me. Yes. (laughs) So. That's really, that's awesome to know. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. And uh, my, my, my last, my number one piece of music that I love so very much uh, from Star Wars is is Across the Stars. And this is the love theme from Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. You know, the, the prequels just kind of hit for me at the right time in my life, you know. Um, I, I saw Episode 2, of course, with my wife Kylie, uh, which mm-hmm. at the time we were dating. We had just mm-hmm. really started dating not long before. Um, and I think the song just kind of, you know, you know, uh, hits on that memory and you know it, yes. it kind of it perfectly captures uh you know that um that love between you know anakin it, it captures that forbidden love between anakin and padme yes. and um what i you know i guess again going back to my band geek roots um you know as as a woodwind player as a you know someone who played clarinet and saxophone uh the fact that the main melody is introduced by a solo oboe Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, woodwinds don't get a whole lot of love in in bands, and you know, it's it's it was nice to you know nice to hear that the main melody of this song is just introduced by a woodwind. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's nice. Um, yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh-huh. Uh, all right, last segment for the show: our favorite three Star Wars characters, uh, and Chris. Go for it. Kick us off. Favorite three Star Wars characters. Um, okay. So, oh, okay. I would say number three is Poe Dameron. Um, what I like about Poe as a leader and as a hero is, is that he, there's, to me, I don't see a whole lot of cockiness in him. I believe that he, he's confident in, in his abilities um, but at the same time, I think he also knows that there can be limitations into his decision making. And I think there was a, a little bit of that in The Rise of Skywalker um, after General Leia died. He was sitting by her bedside and basically saying, I don't know if I can handle all of this. You know, how am I going to rally everybody together to help save the galaxy? Um, so that's kind of what I like about him is that he's not arrogant. He's confident, but he, he knows that he has limitations as well. And that, that makes him like anybody else. Um, my number two character, I would say, would be Emperor Palpatine. Um, really, I just, I love, his mind is what fascinates me. Um, right? As a villain, is how calculating he is and how yes. everything that he, it was basically all him in his brain. Um, that It led to everything, him taking over the Republic and then, um, you know, orchestrating the clone wars and getting the Jedi through order 66 to be eliminated and then developing the empire. And then after his death, he was basically reincarnated and then created the final order while at the same time, 
influencing the first order from behind the scenes. I mean, it's just amazing how much that man was capable of doing with his brain. You know, he, he, yes. didn't, he didn't use muscle. He, like, bulk, you know, arm muscles or body muscles. He used his brain muscle to basically mm-hmm. influence everything. You know, so that makes him a very fascinating character to me and as a villain. Um, but my number one favorite character in all of Star Wars is Han Solo, which is kind of interesting because of what I just said about Poe Dameron. Um, but I like that Han is a bit cocky, um, and he is very sure of himself um, and, and his abilities. Um, he's just he's very heroic. He just jumps into danger without really thinking. I mean, look at like when um, in Episode Four when they were on the Death Star and he's chasing down the stormtroopers in the hallway. <laughs> you know, I mean, like he, nothing right? stopped him. And he even said, "Bring them on. I prefer a, a direct fight over all this sneaking around." You know, so that's something I wish I had a little bit more of a quality in myself. Um, I I tend to be more of a passive kind of low key kind of person, and you know things kind of make work me up pretty easily at times. And I wish I had a little bit more of just his like ah the heck with it I'm just gonna go and say what I want to say and do what I'm going to do and if people don't like it too bad, <laughs> you know. Yes. So yeah. Those are my three. Awesome. All right. Um... My number three uh, is Anakin Skywalker. Okay. Um, he he gets a lot of flack, you know, for both not only how Jake Lloyd portrayed him in in Episode One, you know, mm. uh, but also how Hayden Christensen portrayed him in in Episodes Two and Three. Mm. You know, he gets a lot of flack, and you know, part of that could be the way the dialogue was written, or the way that you know George Lucas really didn't give his actors a whole lot of direction um there's a whole lot of you know information behind the scenes how you know he he really wasn't great with people but Mm -hmm. the technology and he knew what he wanted to see and he could visualize it but he wasn't great giving stage directions but that's you know Mm -hmm. um you know but you know when you watch uh the star wars the clone wars and you know you see how Anakin goes from a reluctant teacher when he gets assigned Ahsoka as his Padawan to eventually developing a brotherly relationship with her. Uh, And then in turn, seeing how she was completely, uh, you know, betrayed by the Jedi council. You know, it's, it's, it's not difficult uh, to see how, that coupled with uh, his forbidden love for Padme uh, helped turn him to the dark side, yes. you know, away from the light side. Um, you know, and 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 then you know, in in Return of the Jedi, how love again was the thing. Love for his son, for Luke, was the thing that brought him back from the dark back to the light. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's it's. That's the beauty of Star Wars is yes. that, you know, things that in, in kind of in reverse order, you know, things that were uh, established in 1983 came full circle in 2005. Yes. Um, and then and then, of course, beyond since, you know, Clone Wars, of course, didn't start until 2008 mm-hmm. and, and didn't wrap up until, uh, you know, until this year, 2020. But yeah. the fact that it all it was all connected and it was all brought together, um, you know, is, is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, with that in mind, my number two, uh, also a Skywalker, uh, Luke, okay. um, 
uh, you know, this a lot of this, you know, this is going to go back to, you know, being five years old and, and seeing Return of the Jedi uh, for the, you know, be, you know, for the very first time. I just, you know, I, I, I compl- you know, I completely and utterly fell in love with seeing Jedi Master Luke, you know, um, in his, you know, full power, um, you know, the way that he intricately was able to put together a plan to rescue Han from Jabba. Uh, and then, you know, when it came down to having, you know, to decide that it wasn't the time to fight and he threw away his lightsaber, uh, you know, in, in the emperor's throne room instead of killing his father, you know, that was, that was, you know, that made an impression on me. Um, and then, you know, and, and then, you know, with, you know, Luke Skywalker's story isn't over. You know, we've only seen small, small parts of it, uh, you know, in, um, in, in the post return of the Jedi era, you know, it's, it's being revealed little pieces at a time in the new Canon. You know, it's, it's exciting to watch it unfold. Um, you know, ultimately his story is one of sacrifice, for the people he loves and yes. you know whether that's for better or worse you know that's for you to decide um but you know i i think that luke fulfilled his sacrifice uh throughout the sequel trilogy uh, and that's going to lead me to my number one favorite character uh, and that's ahsoka tano uh, okay you know you know, she was introduced, of course, in the Clone Wars as Anakin's Padawan. Uh, you know, she was a precocious 14-year-old um, that that initially so many people hated, but the way that her story played out over you know uh, seven seasons of the Clone Wars mm-hmm. um, is you know she has become one of the cornerstones of the Star Wars mythos. You know, and then you know to have her reintroduced to to people in star wars rebels and there being so much lore uh behind her you know her existence in um you know in in a galaxy far far away it's you know it's incredible um and i you know i think uh, i don't know if you've watched the clone wars or not yet oh yeah um okay so uh, have you seen the newest season like the final season not yet. That's the only okay. one. Okay. I've heard parts of it though. Okay. So I don't, you know, I don't want to go too much into detail, but just, you know, the the way that her story uh, wrapped up for the Clone Wars in, in season seven in, during the Siege of Mandalore, it's it's honestly that those four episodes of the Clone Wars are easily some of the best Star Wars that's ever been released. Uh, and, and ever grace the screen, uh-huh. um, and and just you know I've also you know I've had the opportunity uh, on a few occasions to meet Ashley Eckstein, uh, nice. who provides the voice of Ahsoka, uh-huh. uh, and she is just one of the sweetest, the most genuine people, and she's such a champion for Star Wars fandom. We you know we, I don't think we deserve her some of the time. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear you. I feel like that with a lot of the Star Trek actors as well. When we've been blessed with some really incredible people, you know, and I'm, I'm really glad that you got to meet her. You know, get to talk mm-hmm. to her about the character. That, that's an amazing experience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, that's gonna do it for us. Uh, we thank you for listening to the very first episode of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers. We hope you like what you hear. Um, 
our show has a Twitter account, and it's at Logs and Lightsabers Pod. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. You can find that at fb.me slash Logs and Lightsabers Pod. Or you can email us at Logs Lightsabers Pod at gmail.com. Uh, I'm Jonathan. You can see, you can reach me on social at Just a Disney Geek. You can find me on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube under that moniker. How about you, Chris? Oh, well, you can find me on Facebook. Um, just uh, type my name in, just uh, Christopher, and then my last name, uh, S-T-O-U-G-H. You'll go right to my page. Um, you can also find me on Twitter. Um, it's at Chris Stahl, S-T-O-U-G-H-1. Um, and then if you're interested in listening to uh, my YouTube channel, Pittsburgh's Trek Chat, um, like I said earlier in the show, you can go on to YouTube, just type in Pittsburgh's Trek Chat, and it'll take you directly to my channel. Um, you can follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pittsburgh's Trek Chat. Um, you can also follow the show on Twitter at PGH Trek Chat. Nice. And lastly, um, our corporate overlords at geek news now you can find them on twitter at gnn underscore home facebook at uh just search for geek news now or you can visit their website at www.geeknewsnow.net and that's going to do it for us thank you so much again for tuning in we appreciate you uh and look forward uh, to releasing future episodes thanks again chris Thank you, Jonathan. Take care, everybody. Live long and prosper.